Hey there, friends. Thanks for joining us online today to study God's Word together. We here at First Christian Church in beautiful Greene County, Tennessee, like to focus on the Word of God as the center of our ministry and growth here at church and in our lives, because as we like to say, it's the Word that does the work. We like to go straight up Bible in our time together because it's the Word of God that does the work in our lives. So grab your Bible, follow along on the sermon guide on our app, and let's dive in together for week three in our series called Galatians, Gospel of Free Grace. Now during this series, even if you're already following a Bible reading plan, which by the way, you can get on our app, I want to go ahead and challenge you to also read through Galatians once a week. That'll be a big help to you in our study time together. So today's message is titled, The Gospel Comes from God. And we'll be studying Galatians, the first chapter, verses 11 through 24. So get that ready, as well as Acts 9. Get that ready. And uh, we'll jump in here by just reading the first couple of verses in our passage, Galatians 1, 11 through 12. And then we'll pray and dive in. So Galatians 1, 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, friends. Lord God, we submit ourselves to the authority of your holy word in our lives, asking that your spirit would soften our hearts to hear your voice and open our eyes to see your work Show us Jesus, teach us the gospel, make us your people for the sake of communicating the goodness and the glory of your holy name, we pray. Amen. So Paul was sick and tired of these meddling false teachers from Jerusalem. As soon as he had left they swooped in and started to discredit him and they started claiming that his teaching was inadequate, saying that his gospel was too simple, too easy. They were saying that he wasn't teaching the full gospel that they were teaching because they were the, the real scriptural experts. I mean, he had helped plant and establish these churches, teaching them the basics of the gospel of free grace. But these false teachers, these Judaizers, were saying that in order to be a real Christian, you had to first become a Jew, and you had to add the 600 plus Mosaic laws to the gospel of free grace that Paul had taught. So they came in and accused Paul of watering down the gospel in order to make it easier to understand, easier to digest, easier for him to win converts so that he will look good. Because as they were saying, Paul is all about Paul. So when Paul wrote the book of Galatians, both he personally and the gospel of free grace were under attack. That's why he spends so much time defending himself in the first couple chapters because he understood that the Christians there in Galatia were already so far down the road of the Judaizers and, and in danger of believing in a different gospel that he was very worried for them. He was worried 
for the state of their souls. It was that important to him. So, in order for them to believe in his gospel of free grace, to believe in his message, and here's the key for today, he had to establish that his message did not come from him, but from God. As he had already said in Galatians 1, earlier on, his authority did not come from man, nor through man. That's the very first verse. So, here in verses 11 through 24 in our passage today in Galatians 1, this is Paul's defense of his claim that his gospel did not come from him, but from God. And that's why it was legitimate. So look with me at Galatians 1, starting at verses 11 and 12. Paul writes this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. So last week we saw how Paul was frustrated and flummoxed and flustered and flabbergasted. The text says he was amazed that the Galatians were so quickly deserting his gospel for what he calls a different gospel in verse 6. And we also noted last week that he didn't include the typical word of, of praise or thanksgiving for their faith because he was so frustrated and flummoxed and flustered and flabbergasted. But now here in verse 11, he begins with this phrase, For I would have you know, brothers. Now this word brothers was often used in Paul's day to refer to all of the members of a well-defined group, regardless of gender. And so Paul is using it here to basically mean brothers and sisters and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and cousins, everyone in the family. So here's the thing to see here. Verse 11 signals a change in tone from his initial confrontational warning in the previous verses. And though he is indeed still frustrated and flummoxed and flabbergasted with them, in calling them brothers, he's saying, hey, y'all, we're a family. We're on the same team. And while you're going the wrong direction by listening to those Judaizers, listen up, because I need to explain to you where I got my gospel in order to legitimize it for you. This gospel is not for me. This gospel is from God. So verse 11, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me, he literally says the gospel that was gospeled by me, he says, is not man's gospel. In strict literal terms, is not according to man. So in verse 11, he's saying, the gospel I'm gospeling is a not according to man gospel. The gospel I'm gospeling that I'm proclaiming, the good news I'm proclaiming is a not according to man gospel. So he says, verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. It doesn't come from man, nor is it through man or about man or according to man in any sort of way. The gospel I'm proclaiming, Paul says, was received through a revelation, a supernatural experience of Jesus Christ. For you have heard, verse 13, you have heard as proof, you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions 
of my fathers. Now, to put some color on what he's talking about here with his former life of climbing the ladder in Judaism and persecuting the church, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and let's look at this, this former life that Paul is referring to here. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. He says, this is the apostle uh, Paul's story told by Luke, Acts 9, verse 1, but Saul, that's Paul's Jewish name pre-Jesus, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, breathing threats and murder is like saying that, that, that persecuting the church is what fed him and, and kept him alive. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. These letters gave him permission from the boss man himself so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now here in verse 2, the way was the first name for Christ followers because they followed the way of Jesus. They walked with him. They, they followed his way of life. So, if Saul found any belonging to the way, he could bring them to Jerusalem. Now notice, especially the first phrase in verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, we track in with a medical, metaphorical contrast here between the way of Jesus and his way. The beginning of verse 3 here isn't so much a statement about Paul's direction in geographical terms, but more so about his direction in life. So, as he went on his way to persecute those in the way, he approached Damascus because, yay, let's go kill some Christians. He approached Damascus when, verse 4, suddenly, as he was on his way to persecute the way, a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, which is what people, when they're blinded by light from heaven, always do. They fall to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So back to, to Galatians chapter 1. Look at verse 12 again. For I did not receive it, the gospel, the good news, from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. When Paul says that the gospel he received isn't from him, nor any man, nor was he taught it, he says that because he got it through a revelation of Jesus himself. He's referring back to what he experienced and what we just read about in Acts chapter 9. So if the good news is that Jesus is raised from the dead to set sinners free, then not only has Paul heard that message, but his very first experience of that message was experiencing the resurrected Jesus. And not only that, but if the definition of an apostle was having been with Jesus, 
then boom, on both counts, number one, Paul has legit received the good news from Jesus himself. And number two, he is a real apostle. So here in Galatians, where Paul very obviously feels the need to defend himself and his gospel, he says, not only did I get this from Jesus himself, and he was the one who called me to preach this gospel, he also says to the Galatians, you yourselves know who I used to be. You know of my history. Look at verse 13 and following there. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And you also know how, verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But, he says, verse 15, but as further testimony that this was God's initiation, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, God the Father, when he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In other words, when God the Father decided to enact his gracious plans for me, that meant that I would preach to the Gentiles like you Galatians. Keep reading verse 16. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Which sounds like a weird way to prove his case. It's a bit of a weird thing to say to help him prove his case. But remember, he's trying to prove that his gospel is not from himself, nor from man, nor was he taught it from man, but it came from God. Just like he says in verses 11 and 12, I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. So, as further proof, he goes into more personal history to show that others can verify his experience and, and to validate that he received the gospel and his call from God. Verses 15 through 16 here. When God sent me to preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, because that's sort of the center of doctrinal life for Christians. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia, into the desert, and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. That's another word for Peter, the apostle Peter, who was basically the head honcho of the apostles. So three years after Acts 9, Paul went to Jerusalem and he says, remained, I remained with him, with Peter, 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So during those 15 days, he saw Peter and James, two of the three most important apostles to verify Paul's claims. He claims that they were there and that they can verify it. And then he says, in what I'm writing to you, verse 20, before God, I do not lie. He, he, he sort of says, I'd bring a curse on me if I could. Verse 21, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia before coming to the Galatians, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And he closes by saying, and they glorified God because of me.
So to put it all together here, Paul says, listen, Galatians, the gospel I have preached to you is the real deal because I was given the gospel on the road to Damascus in Acts 9 from Jesus himself. And I didn't get it from any human, nor from Peter and James, and they can back me up. And though the churches I visited before you didn't know me well, they can back me up. And now, as the most recent people I've been with, you should receive it from me because it's the real deal, and you yourselves can back me up. You likewise, Galatians, should receive me as a legitimate preacher of the gospel like these others, glorifying God because of me, because the gospel isn't from me, it's from him through me to you. Now, just one simple practical lesson from our passage today that I want us to focus on, and it's this. The gospel is not a human innovation, but it comes from God and it forms his children into a family. Paul goes to great lengths in Galatians here and in this passage to make clear, as he says in verses 11 to 12, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, friends, <laughs> your mom, your grandma, your grandpa, your youth pastor, your spouse, your preacher, I did not come up with the gospel. This sounds simple, but it's really important and very profound for us. We may speak it. We may be purveyors of this truth. We may be messengers. We may teach it to one another. But it comes from God, and it's intended to be proclaimed by us for him in its most simple form so that he will indeed be the great shepherd who calls his sheep into his family. The gospel comes from him. Jesus says in John 10, 16, that it's the sound of his voice that brings his sheep together into the flock. In Romans 1, Paul calls the gospel the power of God for salvation. The power that comes from God for our salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the word of the cross is the power of God. A few verses later, it says that Christ himself is the power of of God for those who are called. A verse earlier, Paul makes the point that preaching the gospel with words of eloquence that complicate the gospel and that add to it and that manipulate it, when we do that, it empties the cross of its power. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says that the grace of God that is ours in Jesus is grace that comes from his riches. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that Jesus became to us the wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption of God for us. In Romans 9.11, it says that God's purpose of election 
and calling. It continues not because of works, but because of him who calls. In John 6, 63, Jesus says, it's the spirit who gives life. And then he says, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Friends, the gospel of free grace, where God sends his son to live the perfect and sinless life you couldn't and you won't, in order to save you from the sin, you are infinitely unable to bear yourself. This gospel of free grace was God's idea. It came from him. He planned it all along to make you, to make us part of his family. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5 say that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then it says this, in love, because of love, through his love for us in Jesus, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, according to his purposes and desires for us. James 2.5 says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 7 This is God speaking through Moses to the people. They say, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Then verse 8 says, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers. If you have Jesus as Savior, it's because you've heard his voice making you one of his. You are chosen because God loves you, and he keeps his promises. That is the good news. And here's the crazy part. It comes from God himself. Think about that. The good news of Jesus, whose sinless and perfect life sacrificed on the cross for us was raised from the grave to give us victory over sin. That good news comes from God himself. I'm not sitting here telling you some crazy crazy scheme for your salvation and eternity with God that came from me. Just like Paul wasn't making up crazy human-centered innovations and schemes back in the New Testament. (laughs) What crazy human being would come up with the idea that a perfect and sinless and pure and holy God who we don't deserve to have relationship with and who doesn't need us would willingly, voluntarily, because he loves us, condescend to reveal himself to us in the death of his son so that we could have an inheritance in heaven with him forever. That is an absolutely crazy and absolutely beautiful beyond description news. That's a crazy 
and absolutely beautiful beyond description news. That's good news. And that kind of good news is the only hope we have. This good news that comes from God himself and that he is the one who adopts us into his family. Let's end by taking a few seconds to consider how we most need to respond this week just by asking this simple question. How do you need to marinate this week to sort of simmer in the amazing truth that the gospel comes from God himself to you to make you part of his family? Let's pray, friends. Father in heaven, because you accounted for us, provided for us, thought about us, loved us, predestined us, chose us before the foundation of the world, had a plan for us. We can have forever relationship with you because you've initiated with us a way of escape that we cannot make happen ourselves. Father, the gospel of free grace is something that you have spoken. that is a proclamation of the truth that you've done for us in Jesus, what we can't for ourselves. It's a proclamation of the truth that though the bad news that each of us stands condemned, that because of Jesus, we can stand before you as righteous. We love that amazing truth. And we ask, Lord, that it would be the center of who we are and how we think how we speak, and how we interact with one another. Father, make that truth that the gospel comes from you, something that is the center of who we are, so that the gospel that comes from you would be through us to others for the sake of communicating the goodness and the glory of your holy name. We pray. Amen.